Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. supper and laid his outer garments aside and he took a towel and tied it around himself then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples feet and wiping them with a towel which he had tied around himself so he came to Simon Peter he said Lord you are washing my feet Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. Then when he had washed their feet... And taking his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So have you ever, uh, can we get the lights in here, Harrison, sorry. Um, the, have you ever felt like you've lost sight of something that God's word commands of you to do? Like you feel like, man, I totally forgot it or I totally lost sight. Like, has that ever happened to any of you? Like a few of you, thank you. Some of you are paying attention. Cool. Um, I feel like that happens pretty regularly to my life. I feel like like I'm studying or reading the scripture and God kind of convicts me or, or confronts me or gently rebukes me or however he does it for me. I feel like there's a lot of times where I come to it, but I'm always perplexed as to why it happened. Like, what did, what exactly brought about this issue? Why why did I all of a sudden lose sight of this aspect of who God is, or this part of what, what Jesus is, is, is commanding in me? And I'll, I'll just share real quickly one that happened to me recently. Um, I felt like uh, every week we share as a staff at our staff meeting before we get into the meeting, one person shares what the Lord is showing them. It was my week this week, and as I was studying, I felt like the Lord had shown me that I had lost sight of joy. 
like with the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Like I was doing life without joy. I was kind of just drudging my way through it, kind of going at it. And so that got me um, like questioning, okay, well, I started looking at the fruit of the Spirit and, and understanding that and then seeing the, the, the fruit of the flesh right before that in Galatians, if you want to go read it later. And I was like, okay, so so why, why did I lose joy? Like, why am I operating with outside of joy? Like, God is joy. Like, why would I not do that? And so that took me to John 15, 7 through 11. It says this. It says, if you abide in me. The word abide is probably best to, to, for us to understand, like, remain. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain or abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, now hear this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That word full is is overflowing. So here we see that joy will come from remaining in Jesus and by doing what he asks of us to do. And so I was wondering, okay, what, what in my life, where in my, where in my life am I, am I missing the fact that like my joy doesn't come from the things that maybe we look at in this world, but, the, but my joy comes from actually com- remaining or abiding, doing the, the things that he asks of us to do, that he commands of us to do in his scriptures. So then I was like, okay, well, where are we, where am I not? doing things. And then I came to this text and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for that. That's wonderful. And so today's um, scriptures, we're going to look into it. Um, I, I believe that Jesus says six words in here that I'm choosing to believe that will change every single person here today. And the reason I say I'm, cha- I'm choosing to believe is not because of anything I, I think that I will say that's incredibly profound. It's because I don't know how anyone who professes to know Jesus, professes to know him and says that he is my Lord, my Savior, that wouldn't see these six words as something that should have an effect on our everyday life. And so I'm, I'm believing that. I refuse to believe that you're going to ignore them. I refuse to believe that we aren't going to move forward. As followers of Jesus that have been loved by him, um, we know that keeping his commands and doing what he asks of us is because we love him, and he's given us the strength to do so. So I'm going to ask something pretty hard of all of you today. Um, can you get the, the bowls, the towels, and the water so we can... Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Sorry. Everyone's like, oh, my feet. No, um, we're not going to do that today. In fact, I think I'm going to ask something of you that's harder, um, something that will cost you much more than a short moment of washing someone else's feet. See, uh, when we come to this scripture, when we come to this section, we know that this is, if you spend any time in the church, this is kind of the, the end. This is where Jesus has, has turned the corner. He's, he spent the first 12 chapters in the Gospel of John reaching out to those who would reject him. And now the last 13 through 17th is him with his disciples. And I don't ever want to say that, that Jesus's words aren't important anywhere in the scripture, but I feel like if Jesus is fully aware of the hour that, with, that is before him, like these last things that he says to his disciples, these last things that we will study for quite some time as we break this text up, but these last things that he says, I can't help but feel like they're really important because this is right before he's going to leave them. And so he knows, like, these are the things I really got to get out. In fact, he stops speaking in parables and he literally says, do you understand what I've done? Like, he starts telling them exactly what he's doing. Leaves no room for ambiguity here. He's, he's like, this is what's going on. And so I feel like it's incredibly important. I know all of it is, is important, but this is Jesus speaking just before he's crucified, buried, and resurrected. 
This is Jesus speaking before his disciples ever, like, like everything that you and I know today. Like they, he's, he's telling them that just before it's about to happen. So I think it's really important we pay attention to this. To get this text full impact, I think we have to understand and review a few settings first off. And John does a fantastic job of it, but we gain a bigger context from the other gospels as well. Um, we see that the disciples are not, um, they don't go issueless when it comes to selfish ambition for themselves. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, uh, they were arguing about um, who gets the chief seats in Jesus's kingdoms right before this. Uh, these disciples, they displayed many human traits of ambition that we all see. Uh, Peter was clearly convinced of his own ability to follow Jesus, so much so that he indicates that later in chapter 13, verse 37 in this chapter. Like, I wouldn't do this. I can do these things. And to complete the picture, the disciples of the disciples, Judas has already schemed and betrayed Jesus at this point. So here we have disciples fighting about their seating <laughs> in the middle of being with Jesus, and we have one who has betrayed him. And then Luke 22 says it this way. And this is literally as they're walking into the room. A dispute, and by the way, the word dispute here is not like a little spat. Like this is probably like one of those things you see on Facebook that are really nasty. Like an argument arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now hear this. They're arguing. They're fighting about who is greatest. Like we even know today, like you don't do that. You got to hide it if you're going to do it. Like don't be that obvious. Right? They're arguing about this. And Jesus says to them, well, kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. It was in this very human-centered context that Jesus adopted a totally different example of humble servant to be the model for discipleship. So it's in this context, the people that are, that, are, that are arguing about who's greatest in the room, Jesus does something that is, I wish I could somehow communicate, makes no sense for us to have happen. Foot washing was commonplace in the Greco-Roman and first century Jewish culture. Like one is a ritual of daily cleansing, two as a spiritual or religious act, like such as washing before the Sabbath or as a token of hospitality when someone entered a home, like foot washing happened. Why? Because they were in, they were in a bunch of chacos, right? And, and it was really, really dusty wherever they went. They were in sandals all the time, walking around in dust. I don't know if you've ever been camping for like four or five days, not being your water. You ever seen your feet at the end of it? It's almost embarrassing in the shower by yourself. Like, ooh, that was there. Like this is them every single day. Feet were dirty. They just, they just were there. They were out that way. So foot washing was, was something that was common. But according to Jewish laws, foot washing was not, um, we could not command any Jewish person to do such a thing. It was so degrading. Only Gentile slaves could do so. And so to, to command someone to do it would have been a violation of their law. When it was done by a wife for a husband or a child for their parents or a pupil for his teacher, it was, it was one of immense devotion and love. But the, the teacher could never command his students to wash his feet. That would have been a degrading thing. Since it was an act with social implications, in no way do we find those with a higher status washing the feet of those beneath them. It was absolutely unthinkable that the master would wash his disciples' feet. Like, unthinkable. 
The disciples were eating at a table. It's a U-shaped table that would have been the, like the height of about a coffee table. So it was lower. So they're reclining at it. And what they would do is they recline their, their arm forward and their feet would be back. What, what makes that interesting is with their feet being back, I don't know if you have stinky or dirty feet, but if they're out like that, you can, everyone can see them. And it also is exacerbated by the fact that if there was someone that wasn't Jesus washing their feet, they could completely ignore them as their feet were washed because they were facing inward towards each other. And the table was set in such a way that the, the host or the, high, the leader of the thing, the closest people would be at the U, and then they'd work their way out from there. And so it's in this setting that they're doing this. I was trying to think of something that would be like a common like today thing. And so I was like, what if like President Biden, oh, that's probably too triggering, sorry. Um, let, what if like a Kardashian came, no, I don't know if that's a good, I don't, I don't know a good idea, okay? I can't think of anything in our context today that we could do in such a way that would be as unthinkable as, as ridiculous, as astonishing as what Jesus is doing with his disciples. I can't find a modern day example of that. Even if we were to sit down, I would sit down and start and wash all your feet, it pales in comparison to what's being done culturally in this setting and what Jesus is doing with his disciples. And John makes it incredibly clear, which is wonderful, as if that setting wasn't enough for us to understand. So, so here's what foot washing is. It's a degrading thing. It's only meant for Gentile slaves. Like, you, you don't do it. Like, it's not something you do. What's interesting is the disciples had already been in the room with the Pharisees. If you go back with Mary and the, and the crying, washing of feet, like, they've already been kind of chastised by the fact that they forgot to wash their, their, their teacher's feet. But John makes it even more clear who's doing this washing. He says it in verse 3, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. What is John doing? He's taking us all the way back to the prologue. Chapter 1, verse 3, in him, the word, all creation was him. He, uh, uh, chapter 1, 14, he became, the word became flesh. To see Jesus is to see God. We see that in chapter 12 or his agent on earth because he is from above, chapter 8, 23. He has a life in himself and has the authority to execute judgment because he is the powerful son of man, chapter 5, verse 26. What is John doing? He's establishing this. Look, look, these disciples and who they are arguing, walking into the room about who's the best of Jesus' followers. We don't do that today, not at all, right? Who's the best? And here is God, God in the flesh created every single one of those men that are sitting around the table with him. Fully God. And he gets up from the table. John, again, in this context, makes it clear. He, that we should view what he is doing is that Jesus is posturing himself as a slave. He is posturing himself as a slave by removing or laying down his outer garments. It's the same verb that's used when he lays down his life. By doing this and, and, and taking his outer clothing off and then tying a towel around himself and then cleaning with that actual towel, that's only seen one way, and that is a slave that does such things. It was a humbling, the humbling or dishonoring symbolism in this is unmistakable to everyone in that room. That's the setting with which this is set. This, that's the context in place, and I still feel like it pales in comparison to what we, we just can't grasp the, the levity or the, the, great, the grandness of what was going on in that room. But good old Peter, he helps us feel like we're in that room. 
So Peter, he comes to Peter, Jesus is washing. We don't know what order. Some theologians love to try and guess the order. We, we don't know that. But, but it's safe to say that someone or a few or someone was washed before Peter because Peter sees this thing happening. And the question that we get in the scripture isn't, doesn't do it justice. When he's like, uh, you're going to like, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? It's actually spoken, it's not really a question, it's spoken more like a challenge. Like, you're not, you're not going to try and wash my feet also. Which now, now, now vis, like, visualize this. They just had an argument about who was greater. Peter now is saying, well, okay, I could get why you do it with them, but you're not going to do it to me too, right? Like, he started, he started to elevate himself in the room. I don't know which way, more humble or, or better. I don't know which one, but both end up in pride. He says, you're not going to wash me. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part, no share. That word share is, is what we see all over in the Old Testament, what Peter would have known fully in context of the Torah and everything else, inheritance. Our inheritance, most of the time in the Old Testament used as land, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 if I do not wash you, you have no part, no inheritance with me. And Peter's like, well, then my hands and my head too, give me more of that, right? And Jesus changes, in the Greek we don't see it, he changes from the washing to bathe. He meets Peter right where his context is. Oh, you're, you're talking about like bathing yourself. Those who are bathed, their whole body is clean except for their feet. In the context, you walked on dirty feet. There you go, you need your feet washed. And then he comes back out and he says, but do you see what I have done? Do you see what I have done? If Peter's not washed, he cannot have any part in Jesus. The humility we see in the foot washing must seen be seen through the lens of Jesus's ultimate washing namely his sacrificial death which cleanses us of our sins this is what Jesus is doing he's he's, he's speaking on a very practical level we're going to get into it but he's also speaking very very beautifully about the fact that like he must go to the cross for us to be washed for you and I to be cleansed 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 be cleansed from sin he, he must die the hour of glorification, that's what John has said over and over and over again. The hour is talking about him being glorified, lifted up on a cross. This is what he's doing. It's precisely because their Lord and teacher was willing to adopt this humbling model of foot washing that Jesus' disciples cannot treat humility as a merely a nice idea that is unrelated to Christian life. Now hear me on this. There is no room no room at all for an arrogant or prideful Christian. Like none. None. There is not even a, a moment of like, oh, it's okay. We can kind of be a little arrogant because I'm pretty awesome in this area. No, there is no room for that. Like none. The, the, what Jesus does here destroys any chance of us being able to walk around with arrogance or, or self-confidence or self-righteousness or, or pride. He, he destroys that. There's no room for it. So if you find yourself like, oh man, I just, I like to think of myself as better than someone else. I want you to know, hear me, please clearly hear me, hear me. There is no room for that in a follower of Jesus Christ. We cannot operate that way. It's not a, hey, you shouldn't. We cannot operate in pride. Why? Because Jesus right here has displayed immense humility. And what he says a little bit after this, right here he goes on and says, servant isn't greater than his master. He says this all over, we see this all over, the, uh, all over the gospels. What is he saying? And this is why I say we can't have pride. We can't, because if we are okay sitting in our arrogance, then we're saying that we are greater than Jesus. 
And we are not. A servant is not greater than Jesus. We will never be greater than Jesus. This is what's so foolish. We realize that. Even the disciples realize that. And instead of thinking they were greater than Jesus, they started looking around them and said, who am I greater than? It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is communicating and displaying in the foot washing. The force of the statement here is to remind us followers of Jesus that there is no reason to become puffed up. None. Not over our calling, our giftings, our accomplishments, our spirituality, our knowledge. Please hear me on this. There is no reason for us as followers of Jesus to become puffed up in anything. Anything good in you is him. Anything. We get no credit for it. Our best credit is staying submitted to him. This is why I said this is so important. I think we've lost sight of this. We sit in rooms and start elevating ourselves over other people based on our thinking, our knowledge, our understanding, our, our practicality, or how often we do or don't do something compared to someone else. This just makes no sense. I feel, like, I feel like if we know what we know today and we were sitting in that room and those disciples came in and started arguing about who was greater, I feel like we would be like, Ooh, really, right now? Like you're in the presence of Jesus and you're going to argue about who's better? I mean, I'd hope we'd think that, but most likely we'd probably be just explaining why we're better because we know more than them. Servants should not consider themselves to be greater than their masters. If this is so, if we are not to consider ourselves greater than Jesus, then what is applicable to the master, which is sacrifice, is incredibly and likewise applicable to the servant. So what does that mean? That means that if Jesus, the master, is, a, is, is sacrificing his life, then as his servant, as his children, as his, as his student, as his lesser than, because I don't think anyone here is going to say, I'm on par with Jesus. God calls us co-heirs with Jesus, which is amazing, but that's a work of him. But I would not stand next to Jesus and be like, I'm equal, dude. That's not going to happen. That means that we are to live our lives, a life marked by sacrifice as Jesus lived his life as sacrifice. And then in verse 17, he says, um, he says, if you know these things, if you're, if you're aware of these things, if you understand these things, because this begins with, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you know these things, if you're aware of these things, if you understand these things, if these things make sense to you, then what does he say? cool, enjoy your knowledge. No. He says, blessed are you if you do them. And this is what changed this text for me in such a huge way. It was these six words that I was talking about earlier when he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. And then here it is. For I've given you an example that you also should, now hear this, do just as I have done. You hear that? It's not do most of the way of what I've done. Hey, when it's comfortable, do it. When there's no football on, do it. When you have some free time, do it. When Netflix show hasn't been watched, no, no, no. It's do just as I have done. There's no ambiguity in this. He's very clear. He says do just as I have done. In the teaching of Jesus, there is no division between head understanding and life practicing. Hear me on that. Jesus never separates them. But we do it all the time. 
And sometimes we do it because God in his grace is sanctifying and our mind gets there first and our bodies have to catch up or vice versa. And that's okay. That's a process. But so many of us are content on just knowing something about Jesus and not living for him. Saying we are to be like Jesus, but not doing the very things that he has commanded of us to do. And then we wonder, like me, why don't I have any joy? Oh, because I stopped remaining in his commandments, doing as he said. I'm not doing what he has said for me to do. When I do those things, my joy will be overflowing. That seems like a selfish reason to do it, but I'm all in if Jesus gives me option to do that. Do as I have done. Do just as I have done. These, these six words should not be confusing at all to us. There isn't another way to take these words. Do just as I have done. Do just as I have done. He says this differently in Luke 6. Um, there's people hanging out with Jesus, confronting things. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Meaning, like, why do you establish me as your Lord? And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them. See that? He doesn't, there's no pause. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word it's everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. And now he comes in this little visual aid. Like, let me just show you what the man or the person or the woman or the individual that hears what I tell them to do and does them is like. It's like a person, a building, a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, if you want to establish yourself on the right foundation of Jesus, then when the storm comes, I don't know, I mean, 2020, 2021, does it feel like a decent storm? When the storm comes, yeah, it'll come. It'll hit you hard, but your foundation is so strong, nothing will shake you off of it. You may bend. You may even twitch a little bit. You might feel like it's a little bit of an earthquake. At times, you might feel like you might, it might be too much, but when it's built on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ, nothing can take you away from that. See that? Well, how is it done that way? By not just hearing his word, but by doing them. This is what he says. We've lost sight of the doing as believers. We're really good at hearing. And dare I say, even repeating what we're hearing, but not doing it. He goes on, says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Please hear me on this church. I do not mean this harsh, but I believe there are many people that are sitting here today that have been sitting here or that will sit here in the future that have built their house not on Jesus. They have built their house on Jesus plus Jesus and. And when the storm comes, their house will be shaken away. And that is sad. That is not what we hope for. But I'm telling you right now, if you are Jesus and anything, you need to start, you need to pull out a jackhammer and rid yourself of that foundation. Ask God to cut every single bit of it away that isn't just Jesus. And the way that you can know if you've done that, it's, it's brilliant. The way you can, it's almost like God is writing this stuff. It's just brilliant. The way you can know if you've done it. Because you hear what he says, you read what he says, and you do it. That's how we know that we built it on the right foundation. Do just as I have done. Do just as I have done. If your faith, if your quote-unquote faith is built on anything other than Jesus' teachings, the storm will come, the flood will rise, and it will not last. Only Jesus. Only Jesus.
The Apostle Paul did this really well. Um, we know he had mistakes, so don't idolize him. And what's good in him is the Spirit of God working in him. But he says this. Um, we see he served because he had been served. I don't have the slide up for you, but Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I have lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what one scholar says about this section. He says, the motivating force behind Paul's life was not the law or desire to promote his Jewish religiosity. The apostle realized that he had been washed that God had given himself to him. Therefore, he can now freely and joyfully give himself to others. To serve as Jesus served requires humility. It requires sacrifice. It means taking up the lesser role for the benefit of someone else. This is what it means. But see, here's the problem. We have elevated ourselves above others. We have. We see our time as more valuable as others' times. Well, I would serve in this way, but I'm just really busy. My time's really busy, as if the people they're serving don't have anything going on in their life. We see our comfort as more important than other people's comfort. We see our sacrifice as better than others. We are no better than the disciples in the room sitting with the Lord, yet fixated on who is better. I just can't imagine that. I can't throw. Just tell you right now, it's a confession. I'm a terrible thrower. Like, just, like anything, football, baseball, you want to go play catch with me, just laugh. That's, that's really what it is. I can't throw. But it feels like the best analogy I can get with what we've done as a church, it feels like all of us are going up to Jesus and trying to say, look at how good I am. It'd be like me going to like some pro quarterback and being like, hey, look, I threw that ball once. Isn't that amazing? And he'd probably be like, me? You can do that every day, all day long. And that's a, that's a bad example because obviously Jesus is way cooler than a pro NFL player. But my point is, is, it seems like we're so fixated on ourselves, so proud of ourselves, that we would rather elevate ourselves above someone else so we can feel good about being proud about ourselves. All the while, Jesus is in the room washing our feet, all of us. It's like, can't be, can't be wasted with that, Jesus. I gotta, I gotta argue who's gonna sit closest to you. Like, leave me alone here. Well, wait, you get the, don't, get that, don't forget that one spot. It's kind of gross. It's, it's so backwards in thinking. It makes no sense for us to do so. Think about it this way. Please hear me on this. Jesus is the only person in that room that had the right to ask any one of them to wash his feet. <laughs> he had the complete right. If he had said, hey, Peter, wash my feet, Peter would have done it in an instant. Hey, John, James, one of you guys, come wash my feet. They would have done it in an instant. Now, I would have loved if he had asked that to see if they'd actually washed the other's feet because I bet they wouldn't because they were so worried about their hierarchy there. And to do so would have put them underneath them. But he had full rights to say, wash my feet. In fact, Jesus could walk in here and say, every single one of you need to wash my feet. And every single one of us would probably do it in a heartbeat because it's Jesus. Yet, Jesus laid down his rights to serve those in the room. Now, I realize that's a statement that may have triggered a few of you. I'm not speaking politically but let me just lean into that for a second. If your ideology tied to a worldly system, a worldly kingdom that is not tied to the kingdom of God allows you to justify thinking down and not serving other believers, there's a big issue in your heart. Huge issue in your heart. Because Jesus willingly laid down all rights, left 
perfect unity and harmony with God, put on flesh, had to wear flesh, feel the first time aging and pain and sweating, had to do all of that, and he did all of it joyfully because why? Because of the cross that was before him. And we are to do just as he has done. I want to speak more about the church, not just the church here in the building. I'm talking about the church of individuals. Uh, there are 59 one another's in the New Testament alone, and I didn't even count all the times that we are commanded to serve one another, but it is an exhaustingly long list, just in the New Testament alone, of how we are commanded, not recommended, commanded to serve one another. And um, I think that you do have a right here at this church to have an extra hour and a half on your Sunday. I do. I even think you have a right to miss some Sundays. I mean, it's pretty normal. Most people do. That's okay. But are you willing to lay down those rights to serve someone else? Because if the answer is automatically, no, I'm not doing that, well, then we got a problem because it's not doing just as he has done. So please hear me on this. Please hear me on this. If this is where you have felt like the Lord has landed you to be as a church family, and God is asking you to be here, he's led you to be here, you're part of this, and don't just sit and be comfortable. Church is not just listening to a sermon. It never was. Church is not just doing the things that you like. That, that's narcissistic. Church is full of, let's be honest, sacrifice, because that's what Jesus did, was sacrifice. If we are to be like Jesus, shouldn't we be serving like Jesus did? As I was thinking about the church as a whole, it, it's, it's kind of sad to me that the one place, like if, to be like Jesus is to be a servant, he says, that, in fact, he says the servant is not greater than the master. We know that Jesus is the master. I don't think anyone's missing that one out, although practically we may live like that every now and then. But all of us cognitively would say, Jesus is our master. Well, then we are definitely not greater than him. Then shouldn't the church be the one place that is like, no problems with, with serving? Like, is that, is that too, too idealistic? Shouldn't the people in your neighborhood that know you're a part of a church go, man, these people just serve the snot out of us? Shouldn't that be the, like, the common thing? Like, shouldn't it be a more of, hey, 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 we need to come, slow you down a little bit. You need to remember to spend some time with the Lord. Like, I feel like there would be, it'd be awesome as a pastor to be like trying to put the brakes that way. But you know, statistically, and, and realistically, this is true in our church as well, on any given week in any church, about 10% or 15% of people do everything. And I was like, that can't be us. So I did math. I'm not great at math, but I did a little bit of math. Um, about 80 people is what it would take for us to do everything that we've, feel like the Lord wants us to do well on a Sunday and have every kid's classroom open, do everything that we can as volunteers. Or 80 people, that seems like a lot. And I was like, well, that's a lot. Maybe that's why it's not working. Except for in the last five weeks, not counting the people online, the adults that have been here, we've been over 200 people every Sunday. I guess that's not even 40%. <laughs> that's a whole lot of people not doing something. Now hear me on this, please. Please hear me on this. I know many of you are doing things elsewhere. Praise God for that. I know many of you are serving your neighbors. Praise Jesus for that. But here is Jesus in the upper room with just his disciples, and he looks at all of his disciples and says, what I've just done with you, you do that with each other. And I, I'm sorry. I, I struggle to believe that we're really doing as Jesus has done as a community. I think we can do better, all of us. If you're here then, I want you to ask, 
why am I not serving somewhere? Why? And ask that question. And I'd be, I'd be willing to bet, let me give you some answers that I believe many of you, and I know many of your stories, would answer. Well, I just, just had a baby, or I'm, just in, I'm in transition, or I just moved here, or I still don't know if I even like this place to call home as a church. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, there's lots of justifiable good reasons. I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. Okay, well, then you're, you're burnt out because you're doing too much in the world. Because Jesus' yoke and burden is not burnout. And you're justifying burning out by doing all these other things while the very people that you are commanded to love and serve to be like Jesus, to prove you are his disciples, are going without. And then what ends up happening is 10 to 15% are doing everything. And they're literally getting exhausted. So let me ask this question. And then apply this to what Jesus models here. Is there any selfishness in your answer? Any. And if there is, praise God, don't wall in shame. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not what God does. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Please hear that. But you want to build your house on a foundation, then don't just hear what he says. Don't just be like, oh, yeah, good conviction, and leave like you like bitter coffee or something. Like, no, let, let the Spirit do what He needs to do in your heart. And, and I, I'm telling you right now, here's what's going to happen. I promise you this. It's going to be really hard. You're going to have to give up things. You're gonna, let me just say it this way. You're going to have to sacrifice something. Because the servant is not greater than the master, and the master sacrificed his life for us. And then he says, to, to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. Not just Sundays, not just for an extra hour and a half here or there, like daily die to yourself to follow me. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's modeling this for us. If you are getting mad at me right now or fairly uncomfortable for even saying this, then um, either I have come across in a condemning way, so forgive me for that. That is not my desire. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in what God is doing for our community, and I believe you do as well. That's why you're here. And I believe that every one of you should be playing a part in this because I think that there's relationship. And I mean, I don't know if you guys paid attention to 2020, but the whole separation thing did not bode well for anyone. I think it's time for us to roll up our sleeves and get a little bit more serving. And I get it. Some of you are like, well, I can't, I'm not comfortable doing this. Great. Serve midweek. I don't care. Serve your neighbors. It doesn't even have to be here. Go serve another church for all that matters. Just serve. Because that's what Jesus commands of us. And that's what he modeled for us. But if you're sitting here and you're mad at me and it's because of me, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. You can come up and ask me and punch me in the face if you want to afterwards. But if you're angry, not because of my development or the way, I, the way I'm doing this message, you're angry, then something's gone wrong in your heart. And I'm here as one of your pastors telling you I, I'm concerned for your heart. Because Jesus says, do just as I have done. If you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, how dare he? Or you're trying to justify all the reasons why you don't have to do it. All you're doing is slowly elevating yourself in the room while Jesus is washing everyone else's feet and looking down on your nose at every other person in the building saying, my time is worth more than your time. And therefore, I don't have to do any of this. If you're hiding behind some theology, you're like, well, I ain't gonna serve until the church hits this ideology or does this thing. Let's just look at what Jesus did. Oh, he washed Judas's feet. <laughs> the man that betrayed him. 
I'm not asking you to wash your enemy's feet. I'm not asking you to wash someone who spent three and a half years with you, and, and we'll talk about it next week, but somehow convinced everyone except for Jesus around him that he was just like the rest of them. We too often read into this, be like, oh yeah, Judas, because we, we know the story. No, <laughs> Judas lived, he did, he did enough and talked enough and lived enough that every disciple was at the table literally like, who's gonna do this? Who's betraying you? Could it be me? Like, am I the one that's doing it? Maybe not Peter, he wouldn't ask that, but the rest of them would. A pastor says it this way. He says it from a long time ago. He's talking about the church as a whole, not the body, not the building. He's saying, if there's a position in the church where the worker will have to toil hard and get no thanks for it, take it and be pleased with it. If you can perform a service which few will ever seek to do themselves or appreciate when performed by others, yet occupy it with holy delight, covet humble work. And when you get it, when you get it, be content to continue in it. There is no great rush after the lowest places. You will rob no one by seeking them. If you're lacking joy, something's gone wrong. But I'm willing to bet that in the culture we live and the way it's pushing on us, the reason why most of us lack joy is because we're too self-focused. We're too fixated on ourselves. And the best thing we can do, Jesus says, do just as I have done. Go serve. Serve someone. You're like, but I don't like them. He washed Judas's feet. But they don't have the same ideology of me. That doesn't matter. I think what, is, what drives me nuts is we have people that can't even be in the same church as someone else that has a different ideology. And yet Jesus is down on his knees, formed as a slave, hours before he's going to be bleeding sweat because he is going to be so agonized about what he's going to do. And he's washing Judas's feet. And we're like, well, I can't wash. I can't do this. I don't like fill-in-the-blank mentality. If that's the position you're having, you're not doing as Jesus has done. There's no one that Jesus isn't willing to serve. Shouldn't that be true of us? Look around at each other. You ought to be serving each other. This isn't optional. To be like Christ, we must be humbling ourselves and serving one another. I think we like to think so often, one of the things I think as a church we're getting better at, we've done really well in the past, is I think it's, if I were to say, hey, let's go serve the refugees that are coming here, I think I'd get a good chunk of you that would be like, yeah, let's go do that. That's awesome. That's exciting. And I think a lot of people will be excited about doing that. But when they're like, ah, I don't even like kids, so I'm not going to serve my kids. First off, there is something seriously wrong with that. I mean, I sometimes don't like my own kids. I'll admit that, Okay. But Jesus couldn't have been more hostile at times to his disciples when they stopped the children from coming to him. And, and by you saying, it's time to wake up. By you saying, I won't serve in kids because I don't like kids, you know what you've done? You just elevated yourself above them. And you know what Jesus says? When I hear the kingdom of God, you must become like a child. See, this is, this is why I, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm not mad was told it felt like an intervention for a service. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> but church, we can do better. We can do better. I do not want to be a follower of Jesus that every single person around me goes, wow, he serves himself really well. I don't want to be a part of a church that is about making ourselves comfortable, making ourselves more knowledgeable, all the while lacking the fact that we are unwilling to serve one another. 
I want to see people make more mistakes. I want to see you not count the cost and serve someone. I want to see you serve someone that can't thank you or can't repay it. I want to see you serve someone where I don't even see it happening, but someone's like, someone served me and I don't know who it was. Praise Jesus, he gets the glory. We can do better as a church, not just here on Sundays, but hey, I mean, 280, like that's a really easy mathematical problem. There's no reason why we should have a classroom closed right now. I watched a kid come in the first Sunday that we were closed and I didn't tell Sarah this because I knew it would break her heart, but I told her in staff meeting so she knows now. And he was bawling. And I was like, what's going on? He's, oh, he was so excited to share his memory verse today, but his classroom's closed. I don't share that to shame you, but guys, I don't know a lot of kids that like the church. And if we got kids that want to come in and want to partner with us, then I feel like, why are we holding them back? We can do better as a church. Picture for a second, just do this for me. Um, uh, picture for a second Jesus washing your feet. See, I, I'm, I'm convinced that when Jesus was washing the feet of the individuals, I'm convinced that he was doing something else. This is a conjecture. We don't have anything in there. Like he was either praying silently before the Lord, before God with him, for them, or he was speaking some encouragement. But what would he say to you? Right now, put yourself in that spot. You, you get home, you walk in, and Jesus is sitting right there. Trust me right now, the way you picture him, he probably doesn't look like that. But he's sitting right there, okay? And he's like, come here, sit down. Sit down. Take your shoes off. Take your socks off. I'm going to wash your feet. What would he say to you? Well, let me tell you one thing really quickly because I think it's important on a message like this that he wouldn't say. He's not going to look and go, so disappointed in you. How dare you? He's not going to do that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to love you as he loved you all the way to the cross to bury in resurrection. And that kind of love should compel us to do just as he has done. It's not a shameful response. It's not a, oh, dang it, I should do better. It's a, no, I want to do this because he's loved me so well. I want to love him back. Not out of duty, but out of joy. I promise you, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to be hard. The first time you do it, you'll be late getting there. You'll fight with your spouse to wherever it is. <laughs> It'll be an absolutely atrocious experience. You'll leave and feel like no one thanked you. But remember Jesus, hours before he went to the cross, washed these men's feet who literally turned their back on him and left him alone. You're doing a good work. Can't serve the Lord and not be doing a good work. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Um, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing here in a second. But I want to ask you to do one thing, a good practice for you, if you will. Here's your homework. Um, I want to encourage each of you to take this statement, do just as I have done. Take, take this statement and apply this to other areas of Scripture. Do just as I have done in generosity. Do just as I have done in forgiving. Do just as I have done in treating your enemies. Do just as I have done on how you speak to others.
Look, this, this, these six words can radically transform our lives if we would just do just as he has done. If we would let our generosity, our time, our heart, our conversation be steeped where people interact with us and they're like, at first they think it's us, but then they realize it's not us because we're not doing it on our own strength. We're doing it with the spirit of God that has been given to every believer to do so. So do just as, as he has done. That's the best part, guys. If you're like, but I don't know how, just start. Because the Spirit of God, anything you do good, anything you do good, that's His. It's not you. That's His work. We're going to take communion in a second. And so during this song, I encourage you to grab your communion and we'll, we'll come back together. I think it's a beautiful symbolism of what, um, of what Jesus is doing in the washing of the feet, which is that we will be washed clean of all sins through the spilling of His blood. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for... Um, I thank you for loving us in spite of us. We thank you for, um, I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for giving me life. Um, I thank you for convicting me. Um, God, for the individuals that are in the room right now that are so hard in their hearts, God, I pray that you'd soften them. For those that are um, moving towards shame or guilt, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them and allow it to just be conviction. And God, for those that are here that have um, heard you today, I pray that they wouldn't just be hearers, but they'd be doers. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him 